episode of Monitor Keeping Podcast. This is Alan Stevens here uh, with Kai there coming in. We also have a guest for you today. Um, but before we get started into that, I just again want to say thank you to the uh, Morelia Python Radio Network for allowing us to be under the umbrella. Uh, please go on to their website, moreliapythonradio.com. Check them out. Check out their different podcasts they have available uh, covering different topics and species, all reptile related. And go ahead and check out their Patreon as well. They have a $5 and I believe a $10 um, <clears throat> different Patreons available to you, uh, which all goes into helping produce more content, get information into good people's hands, uh, give you something to listen to on your rides to work or whatever you're doing. So anyways, other than that, uh, our guest today, Jacob, how you doing? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, no uh, how's it going, man? This is, uh, I guess, the first time uh, I've, I think I've spoken to you. I think you've recently followed me on Instagram, right, Jake, the snake guy or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Jake from Snake Farm. Farm. Oh, you can't mess that. That is like the, the best little title there. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't take credit for that one. That was a, a coworker of mine ended up coming up with that. I was like, huh. All right. That's hard to forget. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're glad to have you on. Uh, um, we'll try to keep this as much monitor related as possible. But uh, I mean, I guess uh, just an introduction, a little quick introduction on, you know, you yourself is, is great to start. Um, or just like maybe you'd start with what you kept or how you got into varanids and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've been fascinated by reptiles as long as I can remember. I could spell herpetologist when I was four years old. It's just been a lifelong <laughs> dream to just work with these animals. Uh, yeah. Something I stuck with, went to University of Maine for a couple of years uh, to study it, ended up ultimately leaving and found my way to New England Reptile Distributors, which is about 10 minutes from my house, conveniently. <laughs> And uh, through there is really where my love for varanids kind of took off. I'd always had an appreciation for monitor species, but uh, obviously Kevin's knowledge and the work that he does specifically with Varana Salvatore really, really hooked me on them. Um, and that love has just kind of blossomed from there. Yeah, he's a mad, mad scientist. Um, that guy. <laughs> that, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I literally sit in my little tiny lab and I'm just w wishing that like, I can, I mean, not not to be like him, but more so of just get an idea of what his brain goes through. Um, you know, just just thinking wise, and um, and you, I don't really get a major glimpse of it, probably obviously because I haven't been there. But you know, the the quick videos are more dedicated to the animals, not so much the enclosures. Um, and man, I'd love to just pick your brain on on that topic. Just just some <laughs> of the the stuff alone. Um, you know, without without getting too invasive or or all up in your guys' business, but you know, um, some of the enclosure setups are just designed really for your guys' convenience and ease and in and out of there. But also, like for the animals, they're just built. Um, you know, you guys have have like a ton of soil in there, and you know your water features are all. I, I, and the way I see it hooked up, it's just um, it makes sense. You know, um, yeah. the, the way things flow. It just, yep. yeah, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't explain anymore, but, um, you know, I mean, I guess we could start from the ground. I mean, the, your guys' ground and the whole room is heated, yeah? Uh, 
so we have it all on the central heating system. I'm not entirely sure what we actually have that set at. Um, yeah. The rooms are so insulated, it retains heat very, very well. And just the yeah. sheer volume of basking lights that we actually have in there, it keeps okay. that ambient temp pretty high. I mean, each one of those basking lights gets up to right around that 120 to 130 mark. Yeah. And when you have 40 or 50 of them in a room, it really bumps the ambient <laughs> temp very quickly up to the, <laughs> the 80s. And then in the summer, I mean, you're talking 90, 100 degrees sometimes. So we got to have fans going actually to keep them a little bit cooler. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Do you actually have to change in the winter when you go in there? There's like shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't even bother anymore. I go in and flip flop. There'll be a foot of snow on the ground. Flip flops, wow. gym shorts are cut off. Yeah, man. Uh, no. Um, okay, so you know, for 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 us, we talk a lot about cage building on on this podcast, and um, yep. it is to, it is to it is for the, a lot of the new beginners and and us ourselves just learning new techniques on how to do stuff and. Um, you know, I, I, do you guys have like, I think I've seen like rolling in and out of like your bins and your major, like, I think, I think I've seen water containers that you guys can bring in and out. Right. Yep. And they're easily slide in and out. And then I've also seen big, huge tubs of dirt that you just slide in and out. Yeah, that's correct. Damn. That's just, I mean, it, it's just the ease of that, you know? <laughs> I got yeah, a so funny looking from like cage to cage. It's so funny. I call them like phase one and phase two because that's one of my favorite aspects of actually keeping the larger varanids is the cage design itself. And after you build yeah. it, you figure out the flaws and weaknesses and you go, yeah. ah, not so I wish I'd done this. So when it comes time to create another set, you apply that and you figure out any flaws with that and you just continue and continue and continue along that path. Um, right. Like you were talking about those water trays. That's what we tend to yeah. use for our uh, babies and some of our like sub-adult monitors, not quite beyond that juvenile phase yet, but still relatively small. We actually just took some old CB70s that we had lying around, um, and Kevin pretty much just built a frame that allowed that to be slid in and out from underneath and just utilize um, a water base as a yeah. substrate to make it easier to change. So we go through, we change that at least twice a day, just vacuum it out, replace new mm -hmm. water, and they do absolutely amazing on it. Yeah. Twice yeah. a day. You guys oh, are yes. moving through there. Yeah. Yep. That is awesome. Yeah, like you said, convenience has been <laughs> probably the biggest factor. When I started there. Yeah, convenience. I mean, picture how many water tubs, right? And how many. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm already flipping out about what I have, maybe 12 or something like that, water pans to change. And, you yep. know, they're not really that heavy, but picture uh, Giant Salvatore's water pan. Oh, you know, yeah. And so the ease, um, you know, to make it simple for I mean, we talked about this a little bit before where, you know, you kind of have like a hose and it kind of sucks it all out to a certain area. I mean, how does your guys' flow? You guys have a, have a Yeah, so there's a couple different ways that we have it designed. Um, so for the youngest monitors that we have, like fresh out of the egg, it's still we just do it manually. You just grab the little water bin, dump it out, put a brand yeah. new one in there, bleach it out so there's no bacterial infections, anything like that. Um, but as you get up in size, we actually have a shop back. So you just drain out the water or it's hooked up to a central, um, one of the central drainage lines. And at that point, it's just turning a valve or pulling a plug and it'll just drain right through. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that makes it, it so much easier. Right. I, I steer clear of, uh, water monitors and like you know, Mertens are beautiful, but for that very right. reason is, uh, so much water to have. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Right. 
I mean, it's uh, and so for for me, if you wanted to take it, I, I still do things the hard way. You know, I still bucket everything. I've got like yeah. little little giant Arizona jugs, you know, that yeah. I got from Costco <laughs> that I refill, and you know, uh, that that's what I carry back and forth from either the hose or the sink or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my normal refill, you know. Um, yeah, and then I'll. I'll empty stuff into like a, a, a bucket and then I'll take it to wherever I want to dump it out in the back or something like that. And, um, yeah, that's, that's my get up. But, uh, man, now, so as far as your guys is, um, like, you know, I, I've seen people say like, as having, um, having a completely enclosed enclosure is, is, is absolutely necessary. And I've seen some of your guys is they're, they're graded in the front where it's a, it's a mesh front or something like that. Right. Yep. And, and that's because your whole room and everything also maintains great humidity. Yes. Is, yep. So okay. we got those rooms. I mean, pretty much each one of those tubs, like I said, at that size, it has a, a water base for a substrate. So those animals are already kicking around at like, at minimum 80% humidity all the way up yeah. to like a hundred percent. And in addition to that, in the rooms that we have that particular setup, we also have our token cages and those are hooked up to a mist King that kicks on every couple of hours for a certain duration of time. Uh, so that also really helps increase the ambient humidity. So it does Man. keep everything really, <laughs> it makes it a, a joy to work in in August. <laughs> I could imagine. You can imagine. Oh yeah. You got to hydrate a lot in there, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh um what particularly like how, well, let me start back a little bit. How long have you been working over there for Nerd? So, officially I've been with Nerd for I think three and a half years now. Um but it's really been five. We have a retail store called Zoo Creatures that I actually started off in with uh Rob Christian before Rob was uh yeah. one of the managers of Nerd. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so I worked down there for I think just over a year, and then I uh, I got poached by the old manager Josh Ortiz, and nice. Josh took me up, and yeah, from there I've pretty much been working with uh, the Baranid since then. Upstairs, huh? Nice. You know, it's crazy a- as for like years and years and years. Sorry, bro. Um, uh, for when we were kids, I think fifteen, sixteen, and King Snake chat room they had like kingsnake.com had a chat room right yeah <laughs> me and me and rob were, were in that thing like day and night man. <laughs> oh yeah rob That's has all sorts weird. of great stories about some of the conversations he had there dude yeah. it's crazy and uh to go to see where it's gone now and we'll see where he's gone and you know it's just like uh the amazing work that he that he does on the regular and it's oh, like yeah. man, i've seen him i've, I've grown up watching him you know or we've grown up together essentially yeah in the hog that's awesome mm-hmm. stuff sorry what were we gonna say alan you know i don't even remember it was something or oh i i remember i remember so i was gonna ask as far as monitors is that primarily uh what you work with over there at the uh facility at, or at this point yes it was kind of a little bit surprising to me because by big time i've always just loved snakes snakes right. have been my go-to especially the larger pythons so the first time I got up there, I immediately started working with the larger retics. I was like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. And then from there, I kind of went to the Bloods and the Bolins and some of the scrubs that we had. Uh, Poplin pythons, love those things. Man, But I slowly kind of eat more and more into the little Varanids. And yeah, then it yeah. just kind of escalated from there. And it pretty That's much just snowballed smart. into, yeah, now I'm, now I'm doing all the breeding and <laughs> take care of all the babies. You know, I used to be a, I mean, not a berm guy. Like, I didn't breed them a ton, but I used to have... 
more berms at one point than I had monitors when I was younger, you know? Um, really? And then I got into, got into, um, like seeing my first Niles and stuff like that. And, um, at one point I was having more snakes than monitors, um, maybe like for at least a few years in, in high school. But, um, and then I just started to, I don't know, man, just get in more and more rounds as well, where it's, uh, phasing out of the snakes and becoming almost almost uh 100 addicted to varanids and yeah <laughs> it really is a slippery slope i don't know it's, it's, the, it's the it's like okay don't get me wrong and uh man are you snake guys i love you but this is gonna hurt a little bit um you know snakes can be a little bit boring sometimes where it's like you're just feeding them once once a week right or oh something yeah like that. and they're not doing a whole ton unless you do give them stuff to have natural behavior and then that's really cool but you know, sometimes they're just sitting there. Um, but these lizards, man, these monitor lizards are bouncing back and forth. And so um, that that whole intelligence stuff that you guys are always um, always showing the presence of when you guys are showing your water monitor. So that's what basically gets, gets it for me, you know. It's essentially, um, I don't know, a dinosaur or a dog within a lizard body, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that's one of the things that really kind of hooked me onto them was the whole behavioral aspect of it. Snakes, after a while, they just become so easy to read. It's almost right. not a lot with the way you can kind of handle them, even, you know, yeah. more aggressive species like right. scrubs and white lips. Um, but the varanids, you just constantly got to be on your toes and be observing them. And they really do have their own separate personalities, um, even yeah. just not even day to day, but hour to hour, minute to minute. That is awesome. I'm, I'm seeing that many animals. I'm sure you pick up on a lot of different things and species, animals. You pick up on a lot of different uh, behaviors going on throughout the entire collection. You know, I'm sure it's just a wealth of information as far as learning about those animals, learning how to read those animals, yeah. seeing different problems that actually pop up too, learning to fix those or adjust towards those little uh, little mm. issues and and man. Yeah, so just in a little amount of time, you know, you'd say uh, three and a half years, I think you said you've been officially yep. working there. Um, you probably learn so much more than some people could probably learn over a lifetime just because yeah. you have that. What's crazy ability. is some of it's not even told to you. It might just be right there for you to learn with already, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah, uh, that's also dope too. Yeah, that's one of the, the funny things because it's something you never really notice until you have the opportunity to train somebody else or when you're interacting with it. Like with, I did it uh, actually with Kevin the other day and I noticed the wizard did a tongue flick a little bit weird. And I said, Oh, Kev, time to put it down. And it just kind of turned its head really quick. Like it was going to bite him. And yeah, that's how I saw it. And I was like, I, I kind of assumed that you would have seen it just the way that it did that little <laughs> variation of a tongue flick. It, it told me that it was, it wasn't a happy animal. It was ready yeah. to, to end a little interaction. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I would love to just day in, day out, read that, you know, uh, yeah. almost like just, just the, uh, what would you even call it? I don't know. Oh. Stan behaviors. What's that Star Wars? The Not the Jedi. What are the other guys? The um, the trainees? Oh, the little, oh, like a Padawans. Yeah, 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 that's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> Getting to learn all that firsthand, man. Um, so yeah. what is... What is your favorite thing over there right now to work as far as monitors? Which ones are you? Uh, yeah, do you got one that's like coined that's yours? <laughs> I mean, the project I take the most pride in is probably doing the Simbawa locality. 
Okay. I absolutely love breeding the Sambawas. Um, but as far as specific animals, there's one named Gubu. Gubu is my baby. I absolutely love him. <laughs> nice. And what kind is Gubu? Uh, so Gubu is a super guru. Okay. Super yeah. guru. Yep. Yeah. I need to so, pay more attention. So super you know, guru, can you explain that? Super guru is what? Like just much more high contrast? Yep. Yeah. So the guru, I don't even know, technically called a locality or a co-dominant morph. Um, but it's essentially just a, a monitor with an enhanced coloration. The patterning right. isn't really all that different. Uh, it is slightly different in the super form. There's more of a, a banding as opposed to an oscillation. And it looks right. almost a little bit more, best way I can describe it, it's almost like camouflage yeah. as the yellow goes down the back. Um, but it really does just create a really high intensity yellow animal when they end up reproducing. Um, so it's not something that's a major difference, but it is a really cool little, little yeah. trait. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I had a I had a guru and a sulfur for I don't know a Same. few months, and uh, <laughs> they landed in my lab. They got they got traded and turned into smaller monitors that don't require water, but they were fun. They were gorgeous. It's just they grew so fast in a, in a few months. You know, I oh yeah, wait to, to get them out the door before they got too big, and I was getting attached uh, myself and the family. You know, uh, yep. they're so they had never been exposed to um, um, crawfish before but we went and caught some fresh ones in a, in a lake out here and uh, threw them in the cage and they knew exactly how to declaw them and get into them get that meat out of them and it was pretty amazing you know um, it's a, yeah it's amazing watching the instincts kick in sometimes yeah yeah absolutely so super good i know See, and this is maybe my fault that because I don't keep animals that require water, I have kind of not paid too much attention to what's going on in that whole world. I know there's there's a lot of things going on as far as yeah. different locales, different genetics. Man, so much to the water monitor game before it was just like a high yellow, and then you know you'd have to really get to somebody to differentiate differentiate between a couple different um, uh, specifics and. Uh, I don't know. Now there's so many localities that come in and different tones and colors. It's like, you know, you've got sulfurs that are cleaner, some that are dirty. You've got maduras that look like sulfurs. Um, just, yeah, so many. I mean, now, okay, now just on the top of your head, like the number of monitors that are there, that's like in the thousand count or something. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. Because uh, I, I wouldn't say so a thousand yet. Oh, okay, there's still hundreds though. That's a, that's a lot to feed. Yeah, I would so say probably breeder stock alone. We probably got right around 100 lizards. Um, oh. Yeah, maybe another like 30 or so that we're raising up. And then with babies, we're kind of at a little bit of a lull right now. Um, I did a brief count today. I think we're right around 200. But uh, oh, wow. I had another clutch of 30 hatch out and another clutch of, I think, 18 begin hatching out today. Mm, nice. You know what? I'm rethinking everything right now. I'm, I'm thinking about your situation. I'm like, get to go play with lizards for your job but then you get to go home and you don't have to take them home with you it's kind of like the 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 grandkids you know for grandparents it's like oh play 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 and then you get yeah. to take off to your own place <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah with the water model, with all the veranda stuff that's great and then i come home and i smell a bunch of dirty gecko cages and i'm like Ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so um uh, dude i don't know man it's uh now, as far as your 
your your current um you yourself when when you're going to get into Vrenas or, or are you planning on moving or are the laws changing or, or are you just going to do Ackies? Um, uh, so I've actually started looking for a house in New Hampshire. So ideally okay. next year um, I'll end up what's moving. Your, and then from there, I'm probably going to get in the Sulphurs. Okay. I really like the Sulphurs. Yeah, yeah. they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had one when I was young too. I used to bring yeah. it, in, it to, in my sweater in high school, bro. Like that's how – yeah, that's how that's how that's how much I used to love the sulfur when I was younger, man. It, oh, it that's crazy. awesome. They, they, they came in a little a little bit cleaner when I was younger for some reason. I don't know what it is, but you you've seen a, the few different types of sulfurs that come in, right? Yes. Um yep. yeah, there's a few different colors, color tones. Um I don't and and don't don't ask me where they're from, man, because I really don't know. And there's the it's just uh there's so so it's a sulfur is a bivitatis. Or... I believe so. I, yeah, I think it's Bibitatis. Okay. Yeah, so that's as far as really my major knowledge on on Varanus Salvatore, you know. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, <laughs> I, I mean, I used to have Togianus when I was younger as well. Um, that one was a fun one. Um, man, uh, and um, I don't know. It's uh, I think after that, I realized they were just so big for me, you know. Yeah. Um, even even yes. Even – even having like an eight foot enclosure and once they were four foot and it was just, it was over for, for me then. Cause the animal basically outgrew me, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so um, that's why I kind of ventured off to smaller lizards that are, that are more and more capable, more of my size that I had, I don't have to get rid of after I bonded with them too. <laughs> yeah. Which sucked. Yeah. Which sucks, man. Um, but here. Yeah. Try to I try to buy and try to do stuff more much more responsibly now. So, you know, things I try to hold on to forever and bond with and do all that stuff like that. Yeah. Um so like are you guys just there? It's not obviously it's not just law like you know, um like Disneyland and you're just, you know, one water monitor over here and another water monitor over here and you're just kinda like playing. I mean, are you guys doing socializing um like regularly where it's like a regular part of your regular scheduled routine or is it just some as you, as you go, you know? So the socialization really comes down to, uh, cause you guys, when they're young, that, you know? Yeah. What was that? Cause you guys, cause you guys implement that a lot where, yes. um, yeah, I think you guys get it right from the get go, you know, the very first tongue flick, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. And the amount of socialization that they receive and the amount of interaction they have really is determined by, a couple of things. One is typically the pairing. Um, so, for example, the normals that we produce now from the Gubu clutches that we hatch out, those are, I believe, fifth generation. Those are almost okay. amazing the instant they come out of the egg. They require little to no work. Like, it's awesome. a couple of weeks of an hour of playing here and there, and they're ready to go. You can, have, you can give them to, like, a two-year-old kid, and they'd become best friends for life. With some of our other pairings, um, like, for example, one of our Xanthic girls, She's she was an import was it two years ago now, so oh, everything yeah. from her is everything she produces a little bit more standoffish. They require a lot more work, um, a lot more attention. So those animals, longer socialization process, um, increased frequencies, increased durations, and we make sure that we get multiple people going in on it too, so that they don't get used to just that one familiar face. All I right. like it. So you, know, you, I, you definitely notice a generational. Um, behavior difference oh and yeah without a doubt we talk, we talk about mm -hmm. is 
you know, like you could say um, Aki's been in it so long, so they're definitely a lot more docile, um, a, a different disposition just because they've been so far removed or, or so um, so many years of being bred in captivity. But it's something that you've actually seen firsthand from basically animals closer to the wild as it progresses over the years to animals that are further separated. From oh, the, yeah. Uh, Awesome. Yep, that and also just the behavior of the parents as well. When you have one that has, even if it's just a little bit more on edge, not even necessarily a, an, an animal you can't interact with, something that just right. is a little bit more skittish, maybe when you enter the enclosure and then it figures out what's going on and it's okay with you, products of a breeding with that tend to be a little bit more standoffish, a little bit more skittish, a little bit more scared and require a little bit more time to break down that barrier and really build that trust and that bond so with you. All right, so man, I guess uh, here's something that you can possibly help me out with, because, um, yeah, I'm not. I actually myself have a couple imports that are mangrove monitors or is or type of mangrove monitors, and they okay. were imported as adults. So you kind of get kind of get the feel, you know. They were they kind of they they know what the wild is, so they really hate captivity. You know, yep. they're they're bigger they're bigger adults, right? All right, so, um. You know, I've, I've really, I think I might have messed up where with this one where, you know, I kind of got too comfortable with just playing musical cages with him and swapping him with different girls or moving him around, right? Because he basically hates like, he hates when you touch him too much or something like that. He'll tongue yep. feed and he's pretty good with, with, uh, you know, some interaction, but you know, if you, if you let one up on him, he'll, he'll bite you or if you you know, if you have him outside and turn your eye, he'll take off, you know? Yeah. Um, what I really want is how do I get him to breed? Okay. So that the, my goal <laughs> is to utilize him to breed, but he's so frantic. And so, I mean, you know, I've, I've introduced him and some girls he'll hit, he'll tackle right away. Some yep. girls he'll wait a little bit and he'll get them like later on, he'll bite something. And then I'm like, okay, that's a bad enough bite for me to remove her and, you know, let her heal and I'll try it again, you know, but, yep. um, no, sometimes dude, it's, that's so, it's so hair raising and so hectic, right. Yep. Where, um, you know, I kind of want to do things a little bit more safer, but more so respectively for the animal too, for, I mean, just to understand, like, just to understand him himself, I realize, all right, you're a wild caught as an adult, you came in big. So, you know, you, you obviously hate me when you're, when you see me, you dart to the, other side of the game this is like how bad he can be you know basically if you look at him wrong he'll 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 take a crap in your direction and yeah. it'll be projectile <laughs> right or um he can have food and i'll I, he, he'll even take it off the tongs but let's say i'm looking at him he'll just drop it and just be yeah like, you're not you're not giving me my enough respect you know and so i'll walk away and he'll eat it right so it's like it wasn't the food it's just me right and so yep um my my now thing after going so long and trying to work with them, trying to mess with his cage, redo designs. Uh, man, my only thing right now is just trying to give him as much respect as I can. Like, what would be your recommendation on on maybe breaking the barrier with not just me and myself with him, but also a recommendation for how I can help him with the girls? Because dang, it's just uh, yeah, so. It's, it's a hard the first thing, I mean, obviously, it's still obvious. Make sure it's a male, um, which I assume it is. 
Yeah, it's it's but, a male, and it, it's bred with a big girl before, so yeah, okay. it just won't it won't breed with any of these other medium sized girls that are even its same locality. The the female mangrove that he bred with before was a a bigger Indonesian type, yep. um, same size as him roughly, but you know if she wasn't easy to push over, and a little bite from him wasn't going to do anything. But these smaller girls are kind of getting. You know, he, he can lift them and, and kind of just eat them across the cage, you know. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like I'm trying to trying to avoid stuff like that. And so do you, you got, like, recommendations on what you guys do with your mean ones? Is there, like, a, a prep session before really getting to breed? Yeah, so pretty much uh, the biggest thing for us is ultrasounding. So we obviously keep very, very close tabs on the actual follicle development of the monitors. Okay. Um, All right. But also, it really does come down just to pairings. We have some animals that will not get along with each other whatsoever. It doesn't matter the circumstances. They will just go after each other. Yeah. Others, they could not care less. You could just That's toss them right in together, and they'll just kind of hang out and be like, oh, what's up? Yeah. But, I mean, in your case, what I always do whenever we get uh, a new animal in, first and foremost, I just put it in the enclosure, make sure it's very, very basic, nowhere for the animal to hide, and I force it to have to see me. I don't interact with it in any way, shape, or form, but I use a loud vacuum, make sure that I suck up the water to get him used to loud noises, something that might yeah. freak him out um, nearby, and make sure that he has to see me to associate yeah. me as a, just a part of his day-to-day -day life or her day-to-day -day life. And you continue that for a while, and like you said, tong feeding for me is typically the next step. Start getting them to actually eat off the tongs and do it in front of you. Um, if they'll, I've had them do that thing before where they'll take it and they'll drop it. I don't leave the room. I make them eat it in front of me. Otherwise, I just take it away and then I leave afterward. And I try again in a couple of days. Yeah, hmm. you're and not you eating gotta... unless you're eating, right? Yeah. What was that? You're you're basically like they're not eating unless they're actually eating, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and now, what's crazy is that uh, you, the way you mentioned how taking away stuff. So, what's helped him be? So, what he would used to do is, let's say, a, he'd be hiding in a in a court tube, right? Yep. And he'd be tucked away and a female would walk across the entrance or go to the front of it and he'd projectile out like like charge out of it, you know, and basically protecting. I, I'm assuming he's he's protecting his burrow or protecting his hive. Right. Yep. And uh, and he's he's essentially just defending it. So I'm like, OK, so what I what I did is I removed all the court trees. Sadly, even though I know he wants to hide. I remove them all and basically yep. now all I have are just planks against the wall, basically like shelves, you know, and they yep. make a couple ramps that go up and he can sleep now in the corner. But, you know, it's like there's no more you're you're not going to just disappear from me anymore, you know, and and even if it's a big cork tube that I can see in from the side and I can make holes in it to see through and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't really helping at all. So, I mean, it's kind of really cool how you mentioned that, man. Um, yeah. Any more recommendations that you guys would do or as far as stages and steps? As far as that, it goes against kind of one of the golden rules of breeding of always introducing the male to the girl's cage. But yeah. in a scenario like this, sometimes it doesn't hurt to move the girl into the male's enclosure. Because it sounds like he's getting far more stressed out with being in the new area. He's seeking yeah. out that new little little hide, so to speak, um, right. to claim as his own. And he's going to defend that with his life because he now knows that's where he's confident. That's where he's hiding. That's his home. Um, yeah. So anything that comes near it to him is now a threat. It's danger. He has to protect it. If you move the girl into his enclosure and it's already a nice open space where he should, in theory, be confident and comfortable, he might tolerate it a little bit more. I'm going to try a little bit of back and forth. I really always want to get him because me, 
grabbing him, lifting him up, and just, you know, he's going to dart off into the new cage. So it's not going to be a pretty sight to begin with, you know? Yeah. And so, like, leaving him in his own cage, I really try, I really want to do that as well, just because it's, it's, it skips a, a frantic stage to where, all right, man, you're probably going to be biting and stuff like that, you know, during this period because you're just so, you're hectic right now. And, yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I'm really, really trying to get to that point where uh, he's gotten better. So, you know, he definitely eats a lot better now. And because I took away the highs at one point, he was like, oh, man, like uh, I actually hate life more or something. But he started to come around, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really trying to get to a point where he's good enough with the girls. Like he's been a little bit better as far as um, – charging and rushing you know so you know there's there's basically less of that and um and if i can help it you know the females got a lot of places to hide and tuck away from the male but he can't go nowhere though the two because the tubes are the tubes are you know only so big for the girls only you know maybe like two to two and a half three inches in diameter and then um the the males he's already big and chunky he can't really fit through that easy so he'd have to really squeeze yeah that, um, that's perfect um the other thing that i can think of too is just the size difference because it will happen yeah. it's not as common i think in um water monitors or any of the really larger varanid species but yeah. there are instances where i've seen large males go after small girls or even, most often vice versa large girls will go after small males yeah yeah, so it's, bulking it's, up the girls or getting potentially the same locality or a different locality could help just a little bit in the long run. Right. And now it's what's weird. It's like it's like a I don't know if you've seen like Argus monitors where the male is huge and the female oh, yeah. is just really dinky and they still do well. Right. And um, this is the same almost the same scenario. The males four feet, but the girls are barely passing too. more like. 26 28 inches max you know not even three feet yet really like that where where they're a a a pretty solid size and length they're they're more small like they're the length of his tail more so than anything yeah and so he's he just he just dwarfs them yeah that is uh, that's a trick we actually used on the um the breeding pair argus that we have at the store so we've actually we really put the food to that girl she didn't really gain much like you said lengthwise but in terms of just bulking up a little bit it really did help her um, in the long run in terms of just competing with the male for food um, yeah. and being able to kind of shove him off a little bit when he got a little too overzealous or angsty yeah, with right. her. And that, that's exactly what I want. I want the girl to be able to just uh, chunk him with the male, you know, kind of just uh, push him back and forth a little bit or be able to um, move and get, get around swift enough. Um, man, at this point um, – like a, like yesterday, and what's what's weird is he's attacked one girl where he's like grabbed her really bad, right? But yep. um, another another, but with this current girl that's with him, um, he's only like did did very he does really soft nips where it doesn't even bleed if anything, you know? Yeah, and that so could I'm even just, be him trying to stimulate a, a breeding response similar to the raking. Yes, yeah, so not so much as raking. He's just like doing test bites. He'll kind of nip their nip their back a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm I, I'm hoping it doesn't get any worse than that. But lately, it's been kind of just him, char- little a little charge. You know, I I keep him full, so he can't. It's not like oh, you're hungry or you're yeah. or more. Sometimes when I keep them full, 
it keeps them from doing so much crazy stuff because they're 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 sluggish, you know. Yep. Um. That that's my that's my thing right now where I'm keeping him more fed than anything, and yep. if I keep him fed, he won't go and chase and look for stuff, you know. Yep. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I'll run that by a buddy of mine. Um. He's actually doing some research over in Indonesia right now um, regarding Dorianus. And he's noticed kind of similar behavior to that where it seems like the male will almost nip at the girl a little bit. Yeah. Um, and kind of essentially get them going. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's tough because those, those, <laughs> those little nips, man, it's like oh, – It dude. puts you on edge. Yeah, it does. And so, okay – I'm like, all right, it, like no, you know, no guts, no glory, or, or at least like if I don't go through all this little stuff, maybe maybe it'll lead to actual some breeding. So I do let a little of the nipping and stuff like that go on, but you know, once it's like torn flesh and stuff like that, and it's really bleeding, then I'll remove them out. You know? Yeah, at that point, um, you got no other option. Yeah, but quick slices right here, like a, a little nick, I'm not really gonna sweat it, right? It's like yeah, it's part of the process, you know, almost yeah. Have you, Unfortunately, I stepped away for a second, Kai. But have you tried that male with uh, that that female he bred with again? No, she died. Oh man! I'm sorry. So I, I got her to to double clutch. Um, those didn't do too well. I, I then the the two that hatched out of that clutch um, were just partho babies. They actually didn't gotcha. have any. Um, any of the Kylan in them at all, so I just I just sold them as Partho babies. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but uh, the so I have a mutt male from that first clutch that I have. Um, he's now like well, a year old now, so yeah. I just hatched I hatched them out 2020 this time. But yeah, I'm basically trying to use him now as an adolescent. This guy, this this dude wasn't so nice either, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, all right, bro. Maybe you just got to get past this adolescent stage, you know, where they're just they're trying to figure stuff out, you know, and um, they're kind of pushing each other's buttons more, puffing up a lot more because they're bigger, you know, charging each other and stuff like that, right? And so, um, you know, I, I have him separate right now, and I introduce him relatively often to other girls, but it's quick though. It's not really anything. It's just more for so he's used to the shuffle. Um, yep. So that way he's not freaking out, you know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> Man. There's a, there's a lot that you actually get to witness, bro. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm jealous. Because, well, yeah, um, you know, it's like I, w- I wish I can see that, that, that behavior with what you got just at work, right? Yep. Um, and then implement it to my stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's so hard to describe, but it's literally just that one tongue flick, that one extra tongue flick or that one kind of off-speed one, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about the interaction that's about to occur, whether that pairing you just created is going to be incredibly successful or one of the most brutal battles you'll ever see. All right, so what are those tongue flicks, man? Because the long, the long, friendly ones, and they're kind of like – and when they're both tongue flicking like that, that's the good one you're looking for, right? Yeah, so generally when they go in and interact, um, one of the keys that I do for introduction purposes, you never put them on the same level, or at least not in eyesight of each other right away. That almost always will stimulate a fight. I'm not entirely sure what it is. I'm pretty sure it's more of a a defensive reaction than anything. It's a, oh, look, another animal's in my territory. I have to go fight it now. But when you put one, like, say, in a water basin, the other down below, or if one's up on a basking platform, and you put the other one on the ground, when they kind of stumble into each other, 
it seems to be a little bit more of a a friendly greeting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a oh hey, what are you doing here? And you pick up on some nice long slow tongue flicks. They kind of check each other out. They'll usually circle, yeah. go face to face for a bit. Uh, the issues are going to occur where all of a sudden you see that sharp stuttering tongue flick. That's mm-hmm. that first sign of hey, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. And pretty much right then and there is going to determine how things are going to go. Uh, if you see the long tongue flicks resume shortly after, you know that the animal is just a little startled. There shouldn't be any bad blood. Um, but if you see any type of variation beyond that, throat puffing, maybe the curling of the tail, inconsistent tongue flicks, you know something bad is is likely on the horizon. Yeah. Dang. I mean, I, yeah. I'm actually that that sparks every single light that that I'm as far as behavior that I've recognized. You know. Yep. You guys are mainly doing the Salvatore species, right? Is there is there other species you're doing over there? Uh, only other one that I'm breeding right now are the Argus monitors. Um, okay. I have one question that's due to hatch out. It's actually overdue to hatch out at this point. Um, I think I have the, got two others in the incubator right now there. But aside from that, we got uh, a couple pairs of croc monitors that we're raising up, um, a small trio of Dorianus, and we have a few different species of tree monitors, although I'm not entirely sure if the intention is going to be to breed those or not. Gotcha. Now, would you say the behaviors that you notice, or can you say they're, they're specific across the board, or do they vary between each species? There's going to be variations between each species. Um, and most of the behavior that I've seen is obviously just from the water monitors, um, Salvatore, just because of the sheer volume of them that I work with. But right. Argus, for example, they won't do as much of that tongue flicking. It's going to be a lot more actual yeah. body posturing, a lot more throat puffing, tail whipping. Um, right. Standing up on the hind legs, I've even seen oh, before when that, they get uh, kind of ticked off. Do yeah. they do that like uh, that tail push where it's like they just throw their butt at you and it, it kind of hurts? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen that. I've, we have a male that's done that to a couple girls before. He's yeah, he can be a piece of work. <laughs> yeah, man. I hear some of these stories and I'm I'm just I'm thinking my lucky stars right now. I don't have anything that's uh, really out of hand. I can pretty much change around whoever I need to, and they all seem to get along just fine. But it's mainly Australian monitors, too, except for, you know, some of the Indonesian dwarf stuff. But, um, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's species. more all the stuff that we kind of have, we just leave alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the captive bred stuff, I try to – okay, so not going to lie. Um, You know, a lot of the stuff that um Kevin and you guys implement as far as just understanding, like – like the whole um, rope and the thread thing and stuff like that, just building positive interactions with them regularly. And, you know, just that's the stuff that I, I work with, with my captive bred mangroves and even the Kimberly's I try to um, sneak in a couple of chin rubs or, you know, make them chase the tongs a little bit. Um, but yeah, I try to do that. So that way all the customers are getting, you know, a, a sat, they're getting satisfaction. Cause you know, most people, to be honest, they're not at, our level or something like that where they want to have a ton they just want to have one pet you know they yep. want to have a, a, a token lizard because they have a ton of snakes you know or or they just want one monitor lizard you know they, they, they don't then they want it as a pet where it, in a sense it's rewarding because you know we, we've seen mean ones and man just to get in to do the water change that's like life-threatening or oh yeah know, it's, it's a, a battle and a half <laughs> Yeah, so and people don't really want that as as just just 
average keepers where they just want a couple, you know? Um, yeah, that's one of the th- aspects that I really do enjoy about breeding monitors as opposed to pretty much any snake. I don't enjoy breeding snakes as much because I know more than likely it's going to be somebody who just sticks it in a bin as something to have. When people get the larger varanids, it really is something like a dog to them. They take it out, they yeah. play with it, they interact with it, they look forward to seeing it on a day-to-day basis. There's just a much deeper connection there. And I really do enjoy that aspect from of breeding them and being able to yeah. supply some on that good, high-quality, beautiful animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, straight out of the egg, you know, you're seeing them look at you, you're seeing those tongue flicks. Tongue flicks. And, uh, let them tongue flick your finger, and it's like, oh, dang. Yeah. When you see him eat that first bug, you know, chase down and eat that first bug. It's like this small victory. <laughs> yeah, you just get all sorts of excited. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I had a, I had a question. Um, I think a lot of people have, I uh, their their own ways of doing it. Um, like for example, I use, um, just like paper towel in a in a plastic container right after they're out of the egg. You know. Um, well, I've I've seen you guys take the current egg container that they're hatching out of and just set it on top of like in a moat on water right and then they they run out kind of get their first gist of swimming cleaning off a little bit right and then and then what do you guys do then you just then they go straight into baby cages yep that's exactly right so we put them in that little moat um essentially that way we don't just have to continuously actually take the, the eggs out of the incubator to pull the little guy out, put him in a bin of water to soak him, put it back in, pull it out, and repeat that process. By putting yeah. it in that little moat, they have the opportunity to just kind of jump out. And mm. once you see that it's kind of full, you yeah, can take him out, put him into a different soak with clean water, get him hydrated. And yeah, from there, pretty much they get uh, split up into a couple different groups depending on the quantity that we produce. And they just get set up and established from there. Nice. Yeah, that's for. I, I do. Um, I actually not exactly the same thing but i just doing because i only hatch a few so i'm doing the long process like what you talked about where i just uh you know take them give them a quick rinse put them on dry paper towel get them get the umbilical stuff cleaned up air that get that area cleaned up and then you know put them in a in a bear cage yep. um yeah and now and, and and a lot of the things i've adopted as well as far as care and keeping babies right like you know, I would love to throw a monitor in a, a baby monitor in a fully decked out cage, a ton of soil and all that stuff like that. But I really just keep them bare and it, it allows me to do much more. You know, at one point I, I did. I put babies that I hatched out in nice setups because I thought that's what, you know, what they would love. But it just made things harder for me, you know. Yeah, and that's that's a really good way to see an animal's health deteriorate so quickly. Because as soon as they find that one little nook or cranny they feel confident and comfortable in, yeah. Sometimes they just won't come out. Days. It's weeks. that simple. Yep. Weeks. Yeah. They won't yeah. go out to get a drink of water. They won't go out to get an insect. It's just that's yeah. it. And they then they'll develop that. And it's not. It's kind of like already built-in honed instincts to go and hide. But then they'll develop. All right. I'm like I'm I'm this gremlin that's now in this little nook, you know. And and you know you're gonna have to pay me to really to come by. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's really like and so um. But yeah, they're like this this little um they're just scared and they'll develop this this behavior more and more if i that that's what i saw you know and so now um now i just have them with at first they're just on paper towels and and newspaper or even just like an inch of bedding where it's fairly dry and um 
they'll have the water dish i'll soak them regularly and that's my that's that's is one of my bonding times but i bond a lot with tong feeding as well so yep um yeah for little babies man it's like it's, it's golden to really be able to do that you know yeah um, that and that bare bones approach is just it's crucial for developing that really friendly social animal taking yeah. away the ability to kind of hide and escape from right. any situation they feel uncomfortable in or more yeah. that they're uncertain of it really and, and goes a long babies, way for little babies it's it's still very simple to apply and be able to take care of their needs because they're so small you know it's exactly water, yeah. dish, water dish a humid hide and then you know you have like your little basking area and that's kind of all they really need you know I, yeah I really it's so many people more. overthink it yeah it's not that difficult yeah or I, I think what I see is a lot of people will, you know, whatever species they're, they're keeping, if they're starting off with a, uh, a baby, is they will go ahead and deck out this enclosure, which is awesome. But I think sometimes starting off with something simple uh, can reward you later on through the process because, you know, then the next uh, posts or questions are, how do I tame this monitor down? How do I interact yeah. with it? I can't. He won't tolerate me, and I think is it, it supposed to be hiding for five days? <laughs> right. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's probably yeah. still the most common call I get. Is oh, hey, I bought this monitor from you. It was super friendly, uh, but I mean, I haven't seen it in like three days. And you're like, oh, well, okay, well, send me a picture of the enclosure, and they send you this exquisite, amazingly designed cage right. that they've spent probably thousands of dollars on, and yeah. then you have to tell them uh, you got to tear that all down. Just do you know, right. a piece of newspaper, maybe a piece you know, of cork bark, and you're all set. Yeah. yeah, what we want listeners to understand is this is the – I mean, if you set it up this way, okay, so the for the record, monitor lizards, why there isn't a ton of info on, on them and stuff like that as far as wild research is because they're very hard to track. Being oh, yeah. A micro, being a microhabitus, they're basically – that's where they're going to tuck into. It's their – home tree or some type of burrow that leads into the ground or in between rock crevices or whatever right right essentially if you're if you're gonna set up a monitor like that where you're you know you are giving them a ton of hides well that's what the monitor is going to be doing it's it's gonna that's that's built in you know and you gave it that and so now we want people to understand that you can manipulate this where they're still doing that but you still get the benefit you can still peep them out it's still easy to access and for me you know as far as adding to what like nerd does as far as simplicity in the setup and how i bond with them i just put a little elevated hide and um i face the cork tube towards me it gives the animal still the place to hide but just one or two not 12 or not 10 or or even four or five just a couple designated ones that you know it's gonna have it's it's gonna hide there and you yep. get to peep it, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what we do with our basking platforms. Um, pretty much it's just almost like a piece of corrugated tubing with a basking tile on top, saw yeah. in half, and then <laughs> you just face it toward you so they have to look out at you. They still yeah. feel like they get sec that security, but they have to watch you interact. Yeah. And one of the other huge benefits to that is, especially when we're cohabitating um, clutches together, you get that couple of individuals that love the attention. They catch on really quickly. They love the chin rubs, the head scratches, the tail rubs, all that stuff. The monitors that are a little bit more skeptical and are hiding, watch that interaction between you and yeah. the, the good lizards, and they kind of pick up on it as, hey, maybe this isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's actually a good thing. 
and yeah. eventually get the confidence to come try it out. And they realize that it's actually a really beneficial relationship that you can have. Right. I do similar thing. And now I don't necessarily have to do it with the big monitor or bigger monitors that I keep. I'm talking, you know, three foot monitors at the largest. Um, but, um, a lot with a lot of the dwarf species, uh, you'll find that one that's a little more bold. Um, I'll let it watch me, you know, take whatever it, sometimes it's just like something like a super word, put it in the dish and just put it in. So the next time when I come in, it's coming towards the, uh, front of the cage as I'm putting a food item in there. And then it's the other one's little heads are poking out from wherever they are. And, um, and they watch me get to the point where I can feed that one animal by hand. And I only do that because it is the, the dwarf monitors. I'm not really worried about anything going wrong there. But um, Yeah, not too know. much damage to worry about. Right, right. And so they watch it, and then all of a sudden they're now investigating what that other animal's getting, what that other animal's eating with the tongue flicks and kind of looking at them or trying to steal that food item as they do. And uh, eventually it's like, it's like one of them will get the uh, courage up to do that quick run in and grab it from my fingers and then take off. And then, yeah, that, that process... Um, I always keep a group here at the house rather than the warehouse. And it's just kind of keep myself fresh with that. Watch that going on, you know, um, make sure those I'm seeing those behaviors and, uh, with the hold back groups and just to kind of acclimate them. Cause once that group's good, then usually I'll move that group out, uh, yep. to the warehouse. There's a little bit of a change in just the, the, the area, the other animals, the other smells, but it catches on pretty quick. And like you said, with, with an enclosure, they can actually see me out of, um, for my own reasons, I, I use a few enclosures that are top opening basically. And they can't see out, you can see out the top, but the rest of it is just a bin. And I've yep. definitely noticed, uh, even a regression in some of the animals that were good with like a, a glass front or something they could see me out of. Um, definitely notice the regression in some of those animals as far as open it from the top um, for those different reasons. They couldn't see me coming. They don't see anything. And then all of a sudden I'm there, you know, uh, they don't get to watch me. They can hear me maybe, but they can't really see me in day in and day out doing what I'm doing. So, <coughs> Excuse me, I'm coughing. I'm trying to mute myself before I... <laughs> you, know, you cough a lot when you talk a lot. <laughs> um, maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man these allergies out here are killing me right now oh man yeah, oh yeah my... the last week for me has been brutal yeah oh yeah uh, yeah my, i'm making my... it though i'm making it yeah but uh, <laughs> you know going forward with uh more more talk uh just in general what are you personally keeping right now i'm sorry you say that one more time it's just broken up a little bit what are you what do you got in your own collection at home right now you mentioned geckos earlier but what are you keeping yeah, so right now, man, I got probably 40 snakes or so, another getting up there with lizards, probably about 50 or so lizards. Uh, most recent lizard acquisition, I got a trio of uh, jeweled lacertas, Team on Lepidus. Nice. Yeah. Love those guys. Can't wait to breed them. Um, I got gargoyles and cresteds going right now. I actually just got a pair of giant uh, velvet geckos from Madagascar that will be coming in tomorrow. I'm very, very excited to work with those. Giant, uh, velvet. Giant. Oh, okay. Yeah, not the uh, the bentos. That's that's more Rob's alley. I leave those to yeah. him. He, he's in love with those. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember that's the person that's that's crazy because he's the one that showed me um, when he got them, he, or not showed me, but he showed the world. I was like, whoa, those are huge. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's got I think three different species right now. I want to say. So yeah. you definitely have your own animal. As soon as you get off of work and get home, you're back to it at your own house. From the sounds of it. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of scary too. Um, I'm not big into the morphs. I don't like the the one of the mill stuff like ball pythons. The animals I got: northern white lips, um, splodes pilatus, mexicanus. Okay. I, I tend to keep a little bit more obscure stuff that requires Under a little bit of extra love. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The, your your collection is hot already. All the way. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I like I like the white lips and spilodes as well. If I if I were to do snakes in the big way like that, I can probably do Mexicana. But um, you know that that's a gorgeous snake. John, my friend John uh, John um, uh, Anderman has some of those. Uh, yeah, and he's there. I mean, they're gorgeous. And oh, they're yeah. like, they, they eat like lizards, you know, they just eat so much and they consume so fast. I don't know. I've yeah, never had the, the metabolism on them is, it's stunning. I got to feed them multiple times a week and it's the incident goes in the cage. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's like two bites and it's gone. It's shocking. Yeah. It's nuts. They're just like, Man. yum, 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 yum. And it's gone. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Those, yeah. You got to see it in person. It's one of those things that's so hard to describe to someone who asks yeah. how a snake eats yeah. or how that particular snake eats, and you're like, dude, you just got to see it. You blink and it's gone. Like, it's amazing. Shoves it in its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I've seen some of those um, those larger colubrids, you know, they just, it's insane what they can do, how, how quick they can process a, a food item, you know, um, how quick you can turn around and be cleaning up after those same snakes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> the smear yeah the, yeah the pvc cages were meant for you guys oh yeah <laughs> easy to clean <laughs> pythons man i get spoiled keeping like the carpet pythons especially it's yep. like you know 10 days 14 days feed you come oh, back oh yeah my bread light girl is my golden angel she's yeah. just yeah it's awesome to clean her and then you got the dominican red mountains on the other hand that are they tough Kribos, in my opinion. They are so nasty. Really? Oh, yeah. Now, are, are they eating all the time, or are they just nasty, nasty. filthy little... Uh... <laughs> a little bit of both. So when I was keeping them initially, I kept them a little bit warmer. So I think it uh -huh. kind of kicked the metabolism up a notch. But yeah. since I, I got another rack and kind of kept that one a little cooler, it's the exact same thing. So I don't think it was just a, a phase or a slight husbandry change. I think it's just the way that they are. Yeah. yeah, they just consume a lot. Just, yeah. Well, it does not have the consistency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Dude, but they're uh, like, picture having one, though, you know? That's enough to feed. Cause, and that's like having, uh, as far as like beast wise, it's like having a king cobra without all the danger. You know, it's just, it's a huge snake. I mean, I guess they get pretty massive themselves, like this, you know? Uh, for and, which species? Uh, uh, or um, I'm sorry, we're talking about Kribos and stuff like oh, that, right? Yes. Or yeah, 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 the Kribos. Yeah, man, it's just so big, so big. Yeah. <laughs> the the head the head on them is it's just nuts. <laughs> yeah, the Kribos and the Sustis, I'd say, kind of have that same sort of disposition and confidence that a lot of people look for. Yeah. Man, so okay, so you got those. Uh, you, you mentioned the bread light girl. Um, 
No monitors yet in your personal collection. Yeah, yeah not yet. As soon as I get to New Hampshire, I'll get my, my hands on some nice sulfurs and uh, some Molinas as well. I always had a soft spot for the Molinas. Yeah. Man, uh, yeah, I mean, commit to those. They're, I mean, if we were to get back in – I mean, if I, if, sorry. If I were to get back into, like, doing those um, – Man, I would, I would, I would only do it if I can really commit to having like the space. And now I know how to do them, you know, where it's like more efficient with my space and and how I'm doing things, and, and not just you know throwing them together and, and crossing my fingers, you know. Um, yep. But now it's like, all right, we're trying to trying to wait for the right timing. But um, man, th- those those are things that are they're they're cute and gorgeous, but man, they can be just as shy too. They're not really much as biters, but. They're, yeah, that's what I really like about them is that it's sort of placid personality. They're not something yeah. that's too too difficult to work with as long as you you keep up with it. Yeah, man. There. I, I hope someone gets into those. And honestly, starts. Uh, you know, it's going to be a big project, but kind of what we were talking about earlier, breeding some of that. Um, what we would consider, I guess, bad behavior. Breeding and then using yep. the F2s to utilize to breed to make better babies. and Right. The amount know, of yeah. color you can get off of yeah. those. Exactly. That's, like, what, that's what's really piqued my interest with the Molinus is with doing that selective breeding, you can really take a, a species that's already relatively friendly and docile yeah. and continue that process, but also really enhance the coloration and patterning on those. That's a, an animal I see a lot of potential with. Um, not just in terms yeah. of creating a high yellow one, but a very high contrast animal as well. You know, it's it, uh, that's currently what I'm doing right now with part of my mangrove project. So, uh, what I I didn't realize this is what I was doing at the at the beginning. Right. But so my Kyalin is really nice, and he's got crazy crazy yellow spots. And instead of you know most mangroves, the spots kind of go away when they're older. Yeah. Um, the this, his stayed. And mm-hmm. so when I bred him with just the regular Indonesian mangrove that were her spots left, right? This new baby that came in looks crazy good, just like him. And he's got all the right markings, um, great color mixed between the both, um, but still heavily yellow, right? And definitely not like the mom because the mom basically became kind of dark and dull greenish, right? Um, and definitely no spots, all of it fragmented. Now, I guess... If I were to utilize him, I'm trying to produce and use him and make 75% Kai Islands with pure females that I have because that's the only other male that I have. So, um, you know, as far as me and my usage, I'm hoping to do that and make – because I can't classify them as pure Kai Islands. I'm just going to sell them as high yellow mangrove monitors. Yep. You know. Or something like that, and that's um, that's kind of what I'm doing with this in 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 in, in the least of hopes, you know, um, where all right, I have this male here, I have these females here that I can plug in, and man, it's, he's gorgeous, and he's he's something that I've I've I produced. So hopefully, his nice placidness. That's also why I kept him too, because he's he's amazingly nice. Mm-hmm. He's not so nice to the girls, but yeah, <laughs> he's so nice to me though. He's a dud, and I don't want him to be a dud, so I've left him alone, you know. Um, where it's like, oh, you're just the one you just want to play. <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, man, every time I open the cage, he's just he's like, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just time to come out and have a nice stroll. Now, it has to, it has to be in your mind, uh, based off the animals you already keep, how you see things put together, uh, not only in your own collection, but at work, you know, the, Doing the sulfurs is a big commitment. It's a large amount of area oh, yes. that you'll 
Um, so you got, I imagine at some point the love has to, or the, the desire to work with those animals has to outweigh the um, expense, the expense, <laughs> the size. Cause you know, for me, basically full commitment. Yeah. Right. I could think of, of some of these spaces, especially like the, the walk-in little enclosures that I have, you know, I, can't deny that, man, I could set up a lot of dwarf monitors in that same amount of space. Yeah, yeah that did the yep. same, the same yeah. thing. Like, if I got rid of these, I can have every dwarf monitor I want. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm tapped out on space. And so um, I, I stick with my stuff, too, because I love yeah. I love the mangroves a lot, you know. And the Kimberleys are, are a dream dream species for me uh, other than the sulfurs and what you want when the melanists and stuff are there like dream stuff that you would want to keep or you see stuff that come in you're like oh. <laughs> oh all the time yeah i mean as far as monitors go uh zagorum brand zagorum is that's kind of oh. my golden chalice i would love to see a couple of those the opportunity to work with them would be amazing all right can you explain to uh, people what uh, zagorum is it's almost like the silver streak. I don't even know necessarily call it a tree monitor. It's not a tree monitor, but it's similar in size. Um, but there's just, it's a really unique looking animal um, that I can't really compare to too much else out there that you see uh, more commonly in the industry. They're just oh, a really man. funky, beautiful animal. Yeah. I believe they come <laughs> from uh, Halmahera. I believe they're from I the Halmahera Islands. I think some of these islands over in um, that area are just, there's so much to even, well, I mean, because technically we can still now get some of these animals in over here. But, uh, you know, I see some of the uh, Australian uh, guys out there field herping and they're, they're posting <laughs> pictures of undescribed, yeah, undescribed kind of dwarf to midsize monitors sometimes. And you're like, what? What is that? Yeah. You know, I oh, have yeah. to imagine the remoteness. That yeah, right. the remoteness of some of those islands and locations. I mean, you could probably go there if you have a good head on your shoulders. You could probably go there and discover a handful of new species every single time you go out there. I believe it. I believe it, and I want to go. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty yeah. much how um, Cam Templeton and the Barkers ended up doing it. Yeah, yeah. They just flew um, out there, poked around, and then bang, just like that, new scrub python, bang, new poplin or. Er, uh, new carpet python. It was amazing. I've been selling a vacation to to the missus about Roddy Island, yep. Roti Island, um, because I want to go over there and look at the peacock monitors. Uh, for I love peacocks. Right. But I want to also see just, you know, and there's a really nice resort that some of the uh, surfers from around the world have a lot to do with uh, out there that, you know, I show her pictures of. She's like, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that with you. you know? yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So that's how I'm selling this. And but you know, to to go over the island from the coast to getting inland and um, just seeing, you know, what actually is on there and you know the, uh, variability between some of these. I'm trying to picture how you would herp the I mean, you would have to basically have like eyes like wow. I mean, you'd have to notice the smallest movement on a twig or a log. And I mean, I hope it's basking where it's in plain view, but pictures of seeing that in the wild over there. That's, that's a needle in a haystack. Some here's skill. my plan. Okay. I put some thought <laughs> into this. I'll share it with you guys. So um, because of some of the settlers over there, I believe one of the, the common languages that a lot of people speak is Portuguese. So I got a buddy who's uh, fluent 
And uh, if he's not, he better brush up. And I'm trying to sell him on this idea too. <laughs> and so it's tapping the locals that are already there day in and day out, you know, across the island and, um, and seeing what they see because they, they, they're there all the time. They know what's around when um, yeah. and how to and hunt really them. Right. And just, you know, I, we all get this fantasy sometimes about going into the jungle and you hear all the jungle sounds and, and then you find something, this picturesque animal sitting on a tree somewhere. And yeah. uh, sometimes the truth is they live in the shack behind the house, you know, behind where they're keeping the chickens. And that's just the truth of things. It's They'll, staged. The picture was staged. Right. Right. They'll <laughs> yeah. go pick up the trash can and they're hiding mm. under the trash can, something like that. It's just, it's kind of funny how that all works, but hey, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, a guy that does a rodent room at work actually just got back from a, a vacation to Aruba, and while he was down oh. there, he was looking for this very specific species of rattlesnake. He was like going through a national park with a ranger every other day, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, and then uh, one day you got a call from that ranger. Somebody had four of them in their backyard, right? And the ranger <laughs> yeah. was coming to remove them, so he tied along for the ride and got some awesome photos of right. it. But he was like, yeah, I went to these remote locations, never saw a thing. This guy had four of them living under his shed. Right. It's, it's crazy. Uh, it's like, uh, all right, uh, I have the same grasshopper story. I was basically, look, we we're looking for them. And we went up, up like hills and through the Mojave, right? And then we couldn't find too much. And then we look on iNaturalist to find more locations. And these other locations were all in people's backyards. Like, <laughs> uh, I was like, yo, I can't do this. I can't go to his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> go get yourself a suit and tie and uh, start knocking on some doors. <laughs> yeah, I sell insurance. I, I'm, right. from I'm from Geico. No, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh, so, man. Start giving oh. free pest inspections. That's the <laughs> way. Those, those oh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, all right. So, your. What's your most hectic situation at work, like ever? Ever? Yeah, I mean, I guess monitor related oof. or just like, yeah. So, oof. I mean, it so doesn't have to be like, bad. It just well, was crazy, you know, crazier. Or, well, there was one. This one didn't have to do with the monitor. But uh, yesterday, actually, I was taking a picture <laughs> of one of the large Susties. And this one's notorious for just having a, a horrible temperament. He's just got a bad attitude about him. Um, so I was messing with him, messing with him, probably like 15 minutes. And he, he sort of tired himself out and I picked him up, taking some pictures of him in the hall. I threw it up on the story. Uh, and the guy that was helping me tire him out made a little remark like, oh yeah, he must've tired him out. And I said, yeah, but he's been resting for a minute. I think he's got some energy back and it whipped around and grabbed just to the right of a, a very important part on a man. And just started <laughs> chewing its way up the shorts. It was like that crocodile hunter episode where yeah. uh, Steve's holding the mamba. He's like, if this snake was six inches longer, or I was an inch shorter, I'd be bit right now. I had just enough of the snake to hold it out and stop it from chewing its way up. I was like, oh my god, this was oh, almost man. horrible. <laughs> and this, like, this is like a ten and a half foot uh, Amazon puffing steak, fighting with a vengeance. I was oh, that was one of the few yeah. moments I've had working with animals where I was like, oh crap. Where they intentionally try to bite your body part, you know, they like they intentionally yeah. try to bite something on you. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Yeah, you, meant, like, you oh. meant to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. that was you pure malice. To. It was it was not a nice snake. <laughs> Man, 
What yes. about with monitors? Anything off the top of your head you can think of that? Uh, I mean, because he has one. the coolest stuff, but I mean, what about like the like close calls or something like that? You know? Yeah. So the the toughest one I saw. Uh, we had this monitor. She's one of the originals. Her name is Wretched. Uh, she's got a bit of a temperament <laughs> about her. She's not at the end of the day. She's not an awful lizard. She has a a bit of beef with me for some reason. I don't know why. But she's just a really big normal water monitor and. We decided to try and breed her, so we threw our big male black dragon in there. He's got some Sumatran blood in him, so he's like uh, just shy of seven foot, and she's about six and a half. And so I'm sitting there watching, and you know they're kind of circling each other. We're like, okay, this isn't, you know, it's not a bad thing. And all of a sudden they start wrestling, and Rob's in the cage, and Rob had to jump up onto the basking platform to get out of the way, and they're wrestling just like the Komodo dragons would out in the wild. And we're just standing there like, what do we do? How do we get this apart? This is not supposed to be happening between a boy and a girl. Yeah. And Rob's in the cage the whole time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we gave him like a little stick to kind of keep him at bay from himself. But, yeah, Rob was caught in the middle of it. Me and Donnie are sitting there like, oh, my God, this is so cool. But at the same time, I wonder if this is going to go south. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I had something similar when I was introducing my first pair ever, and someone told me to just do it in mutual zoning, right? And so I yep. did it in a cage that they didn't know. And they basically just reared up, and they um, – one – you know, they kind of fell on top of each other instead of actually like being in ritual combat. There are more so just leaning against each other, kind of like making a triangle. Right. And then one kind of reached over to bite the other one's arm. And I just shoved a, a broomstick right in between them, just like oh, yeah. the, and the brush, the brush part. So it doesn't really hurt them, you know, and just yep. like just kind of whacking them and making sure that they're not um, ripping each other's arm. But man, like the actual combat ritual, it's like, it's like a superhero move when they jump up, you know? Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a spectacle to behold. It's <laughs> something that you see it on TV and you're like, wow, that's cool. But when you see it in person, it's indescribable. Yeah, the connect too. But I don't get that too often at all. No, no. I, I rarely ever have males like jousting or wrestling at all. I, I, I really wish I could or have the space, but man, I just don't want anybody to bite each other. So yeah, I try yeah, to that- play it safe. That's still to this day the only time I've ever seen that. Yeah. Out of all yeah. the, the thousands of baby monitors I produced, the hundreds of pairings, that's still the only time I've ever seen that was with that boy and that girl in that one instance. Interesting. <laughs> Man. See, I want to see some of this stuff. I, I actually threw two uh, male um, sand monitors together trying to see some action. Yep. There was a little bit of huffing up. There's a little bit of tongue flicking, smelling each other. And then since I'm working in the room, they weren't really doing anything. But that – you know, sizing each other up. So after a while, I, I went back to work because I can hear if anything's going to, you know, um, yeah. start wrestling in there. No, I come back and they're just laying on top of each other, doing their thing. I was like, man, come on, guys. I, I wanted yeah. to see that classic wrestle <laughs> going on. I thought the there would be more to it. And they're like, yeah, I guess we're doing this now, roommates. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. Man, I don't have any of those cool – behavioral i got bit by an aki once i mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> yo you're lucky not to get bit by your blue trees that's a tough oh. fight from imported blue trees that's yep. yeah fight. i've seen yeah. those teeth on them and it hurts, um, it hurts. yeah they, they actually you know it's funny they're they're the longest monitors i have they're by far longer than the sand monitors you actually stretch them out um it's just they're, they're so deceptive with their body frame and the, those tails yeah. that curl um but yeah they got some serious teeth on them uh there's those those and um 
I think the animal I'm most afraid of in the whole collection is this like old, worn and torn uh, team mainland Timor monitor type of animal. In fact, <laughs> the truth is I don't really know what it is because it, it's 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 large. It doesn't look like any of the other things. The, the pattern's kind of distorted now, right? Where it's faded off a little bit. Well, yeah, and so but it's got a ton of color. It's just like okay. it's like this, the body is just like gold. It's actually oh. really really pretty. Um, but I'm pretty sure he's blind in one eye and cause <clears throat> I can dangle things on one side of its face and, uh, nothing you dangle on the other side of its face. It's tongue flicking, but you know, then you get the reaction. So I'm kind of wondering if it's blind in, on that side. Um, but the way it attacks food is just, it has this whole like head it's it's blind. <laughs> yeah, laceration. I mean, I can even feed rodents to the uh to the large monitors and yeah you know, i have a feeling his his head does this right his head's like this and this and this like he said he's really quick yeah it's just this quick yeah. whip and shred where he's left a couple tails on the tongs still you know it's so quick and i'm like man i don't want to get bit by this two-foot monitor <laughs> yeah it's amazing when they lose their vision because we have a uh, an older sulfur that developed some cataracts and watching uh -huh. how his feeding response changed it was it was scary and stunning at the same time. Like, he's just so much more yeah. violent and powerful. Yeah, it just blows and you away. It's like a ooh. And <laughs> anything that touches the very front muzzle, it's it's getting snapped at. It's yes, any yeah, anything. Yeah, That's what so. I have to. It's, it's it's a snap first too. So I try to yeah. be careful with him because he'll ask the questions later, and I don't want to lose some some finger meat in the process. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like always the one you never expect to get you in the finger and then you just bleed and bleed yeah now i do yeah i've seen well i haven't been, been bit by the peacocks yet I, I watched my buddy get bit pretty good by one but uh you know sometimes the uh the dwarf monitors i don't really see it in the large monitors um but the dwarf monitors have that whole bulldog uh aspect to them maybe jake maybe you've seen it with the larger guys where they just bite and they hold on and then they like look at you and they close their eyes and bite down again a little harder, you know? Uh, <laughs> I fortunately have not seen that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I've had that happen to me with an Aki before. I really did not yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> but they also it, mean that by two. Oh yeah. Oh, they yeah. get you like three, four times. Yeah, it, like, there's a tent behind it. They mean it. Yeah. Let me yeah, just put I some more dog pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that too much in the water monitors. Uh, I mean, I, Every once in a while, you'll get it with a young, young individual. Yeah. But at that point, it's still not even like a four-month-old animal. It's just a, a baby that's still just really scared. But they look yeah. at you like they're trying – you know they're trying to hurt you in the in the grand scheme <laughs> of things. Leave me alone. <laughs> Man, so, um, you know, we're talking about a, a bunch of things here. But what is um, – and we talked about a few things specific to to what you do. But take us through maybe maybe your day from – the time you get to work with uh, with the monitors to go through the whole routine of what you're you're running around and doing. Yeah, so most of it, all in all, taking care of the entire monitor collection very rarely takes me more than half a day, which is what nice. I another thing that I really really like about the monitors is the speed and the efficiency that you can have actually doing it. Half um, a day is still twelve hours, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for the most part, you get in first thing I do. Obviously, just check all your lights, light fixtures. I don't know yeah. if this is unique to the Salvatore, but it seems to be unique mostly to them, is actually playing with the light bulbs and the light fixtures. You never know what's going to oh. be completely shattered or unscrewed oh, or destroyed. Dude, That's just... Yeah. Yeah. 
I got guys that will grab the bulb and just rip it. Oh yeah, like, they'll swing around yeah. on it and play on it. Yeah, it's just yeah. yeah. You're like, like what are you doing? This is not so, a gym. Yeah, fact, so step one is focusing that. Hook lights back up because I popped in real quick to look at them, and sure enough, now it's hot here today. It's like uh, 90 degrees outside, so I'm not worried about it. Um, but yeah, somebody was swinging from some lights earlier, so I got to go hook those things back up. Yeah, yeah. luckily we, we all use similar bulbs that don't get too crazy blistering hot, you know. And yes. So you can kind of touch them and grip them a little bit, you know. And so yeah, that yeah. that is the key to working with Brandon's is finding the the specific bulb that actually works because if it's too hot, it'll burn the animal. Not hot enough, you deal with a whole host of health issues down yeah. the line. Yeah. That's exactly it. Now, all right, what do you we're, – we're, we're more so of one or two bulbs, three bulbs at usage, and we kind of just use like 45, 60-watt bulbs. What are you guys cranking in a – you know, I think you guys are 12-foot-tall enclosures or something like that or something, you know, where they're quite big, where it's like a small room, you know? Yeah, so I like to use the 250s personally. The 250 watts really are the key. And uh, part of that is also being able to mount them at a height or at least in the position where the lizard can't physically contact it. That's, okay. that's one of the most important parts of being able to utilize the 250 successfully. Um, yeah. It's yeah, a little bit, you got to get creative with it sometimes, like in the croc monitor enclosures that we have. Obviously, crocs are pretty agile little creatures that can get up there. Um, oh, man. But yeah, finding the way to properly mount that 250, that really seems to have a lot of success. Um, so much so that you don't even necessarily have to leave the basking spot on the entire time. Or you can almost set it to a timer where it's activated for only a couple hours here and there. And yeah. they'll utilize it for that little, whatever it is, 45 to 30 minute span. And then be completely done with it and just kind of go about their day. Yeah. Okay. And for the listeners out there, for just just... Uh, to reiterate, that was uh, using a 250 that the animal can't get to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah they cannot touch it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so the smaller, smaller closures, I like to use the 80 watts. Yeah. Okay. That, that's where most of us are at, too. 75, 60 watt bulbs ish. All right. So, so after the, uh, the light bulb check, running around, see what mischief the monitor's been up to. What comes next? Uh, I like to start off with the babies just because I like to be able to get that secondary water change in uh, toward the end of the day after a feeding. So mm -hmm. just go through, do the baby's waters, have that little interaction and time period with that. Beyond that, like I said, we kind of got the what I call the phase one and phase two cages. Phase one still needs to get manually changed and vacuumed out. Phase two is actually right on the actual um, drain line drain. in the facility. So for that, just pull the plugs. <clears throat> let them drain out while you vacuum out the old waters. And then you just kind of go through and fill them up while playing with the individuals or feeding, whatever it is yeah. you got to do it that day. Um, then beyond that, go through, give insects to the, the smaller guys, anything from, you know, hatchling all the way up to like two and a half foot or so. Generally I'll be feeding roaches or some sort of insect too. Yeah. And beyond that, I mean, pretty much after that, it's going to be snakes. Um, my ultrasounding days, I like to make sure I'm not feeding on those, obviously, uh, to get a nice, clear yeah. image. All right. So quick question on your ultra, not not to go off on a tangent, but your ultrasounding. Man, is it is it that good investment to buy the ones that like, like let's say, like breeder circle cells or something like that? Um, I just uh, I'm trying to get where it seems like for me reading 
um, my animals just by physical signs aren't working, you know, because they're either hiding too much or I'm just not there with as far as reading, reading the actual signs. And, you know, either you fed them or there's a body distortion or that weird angle that makes them look fat and then all of a sudden they're not again, right? But, I mean, getting to uh, the, the ultrasounding, I mean, is it worth it? Like, because... 100% worth it. Um, yeah. At least in the beginning. I have probably five or six girls, actually probably, probably around eight or nine girls right now that I no longer need the ultrasound for just because I, I know how they are cycling. Okay. I just kind of got that internal timer and using the records that I keep on them. I know when to pair them up um, and when I can get away with it. But anytime we get a new animal in there, the ultrasound is just, it, it's beyond uh, right. a crucial necessity for it, especially to have successful looking, breedings and pairings. You're looking for follicles near which organ again? Um, uh, not necessarily even near an organ. I mean, generally it's going to be, I like to put the ultrasound probe a couple inches above the back leg. Okay. And then slightly below like where the rib cage would be. And generally once you angle up in there, I mean, if you're poking around and you're not seeing follicles, you should see the liver, um, typically okay. a kidney. And then you can generally see inside of uh, the large intestine as well. That's why I like to keep the, uh, the feeding to a minimum around the time I'm going to be doing any type of ultrasound read. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there are little beads that you're looking for in there that are small little dots or I'm sorry, what, what are you looking for exactly as well? So it's going to be a very uniform circle shape. Um, so one of the big mistakes you're going to make early on is you're going to kind of look for any little dark blob that you can kind of find or see. Uh, a lot of times you're going to mistake that for it's either going to be the liver or fecal matter. And yeah. generally that's going to be somewhere between the 17 millimeter range to like 23, 24, at least in uh, the case of Verena Salvatore. While the actual follicles themselves, it's going to depend on where they are in their cycle. It could be anywhere from like seven or eight. At that point, they're very, very minuscule. They're pretty difficult to see. It's going to look like little speckles. Yes, that's correct. Yep, millimeters. And then once you get them up to like that 17 or so, that's when you're going to be able to see them a little bit more clearly. It's going to look like actual little BBs on the screen. And then all the way up to 30 is going to look like somebody put a ping pong ball in there pretty much. Wow. I wonder, have you had any experience doing it on dwarf monitors? Do you think that would even show up? That I don't know. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we just don't have any actual breeding pairs to really try that out with. Um, but I have thought, I've actually thought about doing that on my jeweled Lacertas. Yeah. Just because I'm not entirely sure where those are right now. Um, I only got them a week and a half or so ago or so. Okay. Yeah, mm. I'd love to hear how that works out. If you do try it, you know, let me know. Um, Man, I'm actually thinking about this could be a game changer for me because I don't have to. I don't. I, I I always say, hey, you know, I, like I like going to the vet because uh, even if they're they don't know what's going on, they can do the stuff for me, like get X rays and things like that, right? And yep. basically give me the answer. But if I can do that stuff at home, uh, basically saves me a couple hundred bucks every time. So exactly, uh, I mean, it, it, it might be worth it because I have so many animals, and I I you know take a vet visit easily, spend a few hundred bucks sometimes, something like that. And I do it for how many different animals when either I think they're ready or even after they've laid and I check them to see if they have more eggs, right? Yep. I, that's the only time I really go to the vet for the girls other than like wounds or something like that, that I can't heal and I need medicine for. But man, um, this can be a game changer for me if I learn how to read it well enough on the screen. And, you know, that's, that's, 
that's easy enough to pick up after time, you know, maybe not right away. Yeah. But, but yeah, there was, there was a running joke for a long time. I'm the worst ultrasounder in history. I found squares inside <laughs> of lizards. Like I, I could find things that should have never existed, but even I can find stuff now. So I'm sure you'll be able to. And they're all generally within the same spot within underneath the rib area and back between the liver and the kidney. Right. Yeah. Exactly. As soon as you, you're never going to find just a single one. As soon as you find okay. one, you're going to find them all. All right. Nice. And then it's just a matter of adjusting the positioning to get that one clear image that you can actually freeze and then read and kind of gather your information from there. Yeah, that's, 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 I mean, I'm a, wow, a big ass light bulb just lit up in my head, you know, like (laughs) I'm just mind blown because I, I know people were doing it with snakes and I just didn't know that you guys were doing it with monitors like that. And I mean, you know, just on how, how it kind of make it work for you in a way where dang, I don't have to just guess, you know, I can now figure out in depthly and, and for sure. And okay, I'm going to introduce them at this time. Hopefully it's the right move. And cause I, I think I'm introducing them when they're not, they're, they're, they're not going through that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there, there's a fight or they're just off, you know? So yeah, yeah. having that ultrasound to read, it'll tell you everything you need to know about that. Cause if the follicle size is incorrect, like you said, that's nine times out of 10 why that fight occurs in the first place. And you also right. kind of pick up on various females, how they tend to behave. I have some girls and, that are perfectly fine with a male being introduced when they are still yeah. really, really small, like the beginning phases of their cycling. I have right. others that would try and kill anything that goes near them until they're like right at that peak where they should, mm-hmm. in theory, be ovulating like a week later. And that's when you have yeah. to introduce the male. And, you know, I'm trying to understand like the cycling thing because before I used to just think it's like, the one go as as soon as they you know go through vitiligen or that that part of vitiligenesis and you know developing the I guess the whole ovum stuff right and is yep. that is that those are the beginning stages right and so you know I I'm I used to just think all right that's just the one period but man can they they can that cycle is a very long period yeah or, or yeah so that, the Salvatore we actually breed about four times a year. So it goes essentially one cycle is three months long. Wow. That point, yep. See, now that's, I used to just think, okay, the one cycle is no, it's just the one egg laying episode and then exactly. it's done. Right. Yeah. But it's, it, it's long. Yep. Okay. And that's one that I think if you start doing that, as far as the Indicus go, you'll yeah. probably be the one breaking ground on it. Cause what's I mean, really the funky when it comes to monitors is we're kind of figuring out how quickly some species breed and how much longer it takes mm-hmm. to breed others. Like I know uh, Varana's coming, I, people have only gotten them to breed for like a six month span, but they'll yeah. lay like every 30 to 45 days, which is, wow. that's stunning yeah, so to me. These, uh, these Indicus are, are slow growers. Like they don't just don't explode like black throats or salvators kind of overnight, you know, where you feed them a bunch and, and they're big in a year, right? Yeah. These guys in a year, they're still like your forearm length Yep, and yeah. they're, not, they're not really that big in a year, but. So, you know, and as far as that whole get them ready in a year thing, I tried and it, it just makes them fatty. Yeah. Um, they do, do grow a little faster, but um, not not in any like rapid rate where they're ready to breed, but they're not even all ready. The males, 15, 18 months, 24 months to get going, right? Fully drop all, all that stuff like that and really be in gear. And the girls, two to three years minimum. Yep. And she's laying and it's comfortable. Like it's not her, you know, it's like her struggling to push out all these eggs, you know, it's like actually, okay, you're ready, you know? Um, 
And uh, yeah, I actually wait, man. I tell people to take their time because, you know, some people are like, oh, I want success in a year or what people generalize in monitors is fast breeding if you can get it within a year sometimes, you know? Like yep. I think avatars can go almost fast with almost their first year, right? Something like that. Um, Reproductively. Little, little, yeah, reproductively, yes, but I mean, there really is no shortcut when it comes to it. It's almost like a, I like to describe it as breeding boas. You can get a boa up to size where it should, in yeah. theory, be able to produce viable offspring, but right. internally, it's just not ready. I've seen monitors yeah. get the size where they're throwing slugs at the end of uh, about, what was it, 14, 15 months? But just yeah. physically, it's not big enough to pass a viable egg yet. You don't want to run that risk. And I've, I've seen people do it, unfortunately. That's, and yeah, that's they really get cool. egg bound, the egg bursts inside of them, and it just kills this poor animal that if you just right. waited another four or five months for it to actually pack on mm -hmm. the size, would have been a, yeah. an incredibly successful animal. And that, that's why I no longer push my animals anymore. Like my Kimberly's waited 18, two years almost, you know. Yep. Um, my my indicus even if i push them they won't go until two three years so you know it's like, all right you guys are you know just just a little different a little we gotta be a little bit more patient with you and and even at three years old let's picture four or five years old is when they're at their prime so yep. give yourself how many years to try and you know it's like it's not it's not just going to take off within the year and a lot of people give up after 14 18 months and it's like oh you don't see success or you don't see results i mean bro you're gonna have to learn for a lot longer oh yeah 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 that's that's across the board when it comes to actually the hobby itself it's just patience patience is key yeah <clears throat> i've noticed in the indo dwarfs they they seem like they're growing a lot slower they're a lot more shy too and i maybe you know going back to some of the stuff we said uh, as far as them coming from indo um Maybe that has a lot to do with it where, you know, down the line, um, like so, some of the Ackies, they will go in eight months, yeah. nine months. Yeah. Yep. Eight months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder if that plays into it as well. But yeah, for the most part, it seems like some of these Indo animals are actually taking, taking their sweet time growing, you know, or even eating. Yeah. They don't eat like the rest of the animals. No, they just don't pound. I can easily feed my baby mangroves a couple times a week uh, three times a week and they're perfectly fine it's like yeah yeah a lot of that How seems to come down to just where the animals are from naturally the animals yeah. that have a lot more competition tend to be much faster growing a lot more successful reproductively and just faster healthier animals all around oh, well not necessarily healthier but larger animals all around hmm. well i suppose yeah, animals no. a little bit more limited <laughs> resources just kind of they take their sweet time because there's no right. rush. Right. Now, what do you guys feed a bunch of the babies? Like, how do you guys get that prepped for the day? I mean, I guess you, is, is this is this one of your next things after you do the babies in the morning is feed them a ton? That's a lot yeah. of food. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> proponent of insects. I will advocate for an insect-based diet all day, every day of the week. Crickets and okay. roaches. Nice. So you just toss them in a dish or toss them in the cage for them, right? Yeah, so ro or crickets, dust them with calcium, throw them in, roaches. Uh, we just take a deli cup, cut out the top so it still has a little bit of a lip, fill it up with the roaches and some calcium powder, and they go to town on those. They absolutely love them. Yeah. Now, Jake, wh why is that that you um, – and I, you're talking about the smaller monitors, I'm assuming, yep. for, as far as the insect. Now, yes. why why is that, that you uh, stick to mainly an insect-based diet with it? 
so in my experience, it really just produces a healthier animal all, all around. Um, being a breeding facility, we obviously want to get the animals the size to breed them, but make sure it's done in a healthy fashion. Yeah. I've seen the animals that are fed with the whole food items and pinkies, rat pinks, and quail chicks, you name it, right off the bat. and Not enough other variation, right? Yeah, they do grow, but they're getting fatter along the way too. Like eventually you get like a two or three foot lizard, but it doesn't look like a healthy two or three foot lizard. It looks like this little pudgy, chunky kind of <laughs> slug. When you feed them yeah, roaches yeah. and insects every day, or at least as the bulk of the diet, you get this two or three foot lizard, sometimes even a little bit quicker, but it looks healthy. It acts healthy. It's a very streamlined animal. It's just, it's robust. It's fast. It's got a little bit more of a glint in its eye seemingly. They just seem to be more successful all in all down the line. They're probably chasing stuff and hunting stuff, which also gives them like the energy exercise that, you know, some yep. require. Because for, for me, I, it sucks that I just tongue feed all the time and bull target feed. I wish I could just throw a bunch of stuff in the cage, but I, sadly I don't. And I think my animals end up a little pudgier than normal. Like if I were to feed them just chicks, mice, and that's it, right? If I didn't do if I didn't do crustaceans, um, they basically end up really pudgy, especially even after a season. They're still fat, and I'm like, wow, okay, so um, I have yeah. to switch it up. And so I might not be using insects, but uh, I use water bugs, which are you know shrimp and crawfish and yep. um, crab stuff like that. So it's my it's that's been my alternative. Um, insects, you know, I can't just get away with using crickets and roaches for my guys, so I have to alternatively yeah. use stuff. Yeah. I think the other aspect, too, of insects that a lot of people don't focus in on enough is uh, your ability to gut load them. Mm -hmm. I think that really helps the monitor's development along the line, too, because when I gut load, I'm using something different every single time. The only constant is pretty much just going to be some type of dried dog food in there for them to chew on. But every day it's yeah. a brand new vegetable or brand new fruit, something that they didn't get in their diet even the previous week. So I, I like think that, that added bit of nutrients and whatnot just it, something in it helps them grow a little bit faster it gives yeah. them a more complete healthy diet very good and what would you i i think i've watched a few videos where uh you guys are doing you know multiple species of, of roach um but what would you say your maybe your go-to uh species of roaches unfortunately as much as i hate to say it lobster roaches yeah, I can't stand lobster roaches but yeah they are they're truly invaluable they just they can climb anything it really seems to stimulate the young guys because they'll just chase them around all day, every day. They can climb out of anything. They're very prolific, fast breeders. Um, so you don't have yeah. to worry so much about decimating a colony. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, 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 I don't want to make that so I can jump yet. <laughs> What was that? Yeah. I was just saying, I don't want to make that jump to like the lobsters and the red roaches for that same fear. They're just. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, I will never yeah. touch a red runner in my life. They no. live in the back. They live in my backyard. The red, <laughs> runners, the red runners, they live in the cracks. They come out at nighttime. I'm just like, I've I've seen you like in the pet stores, dude. Like, come on. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see right. people people advertise. I'm like, that that that's a roach I step on. I don't yeah. want, them. you know, and I, I used to have lobster roaches at one point, too. Um, and they, they, they are exactly like what you said, very prolific and everything. And uh, man, if you can, if you can have a bin inside a bin and it's safe or like, you know, <laughs> something where they're not going to get out and they're, they're less bad. They're less as crazy than the red runners for sure. Like if yes. they get out, they're probably going to die. But the red runners, man, all they need is a little 
little moisture, a little warm spot, they're 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 set to go. And that's like oh, yeah. behind, behind your refrigerator or or whatever. It's like <laughs> yeah we find them here in new england too i still remember the first time i ever saw one i was in high school and i was out collecting some um isopods with my zoology teacher and i slipped <laughs> over a rock and there was a red runner and i was like what the hell are you doing here yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah, like it's, oh man this is this is a problem that uh reptile people have we just we just let these go that's yeah. why they're everywhere yeah yep. <laughs> they're here too definitely you know, on that note, it's funny. I've also seen the the um, the, the pet store crickets that we get now, the banded crickets. Yeah, um, they're also it, native to here. Right. <laughs> it's hard to find a regular like black cricket like I used to grow up with. You don't hear them in yeah. the house anymore. You know. Oh, um, really? That's yeah, crazy. Like they're wiped out. So I have to go up Mount. Well, there's this mountain here called Mount Baldy, and it's the <laughs> it's the for me, in my opinion, it's this one of the safest mountains here because all the other ones around here are so rugged, right? Yeah. Um, as far as like a major mountain. So um, if I go up this place and I lift up some cracks and stuff, I actually find these big black crickets. Yeah. And they, they, they do really well. I've actually, can, I've actually been able to, to hatch some out, but, you know, it's just they smell so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what they desire to eat and how hot and humid they need to keep, that's just a nasty itself you know it's like a, yeah. that's a why i become meat. a huge advocate for roaches it's just the cricket yeah. smell in general <laughs> huge right now i still get the the shipments of crickets in because i mean they are easy um and then yes. you load them and then give them to the, the the animals but man if i could get off my butt and really get you know some uh different things going besides the roaches that i got going that, that would that'd be a lot more beneficial because yeah it's same thing i uh, you know, the bin in a bin method or some large bin and or more so like if you can design a trap door cage for the lobster roaches that'd be great but yes. if it's like if it's like loose top pop pop it's open no they're gonna get out of that oh yeah it's just yeah make it make it just think smarter than them or you know kind of have it where you can just open a latch do what you need to do get in and out with the tube they're pretty easy to manipulate you know yeah. yes yeah they're very I think I don't know if they're technically classified as an arboreal, but I mean we love using them as arboreal feeders as well for the toe case. They love to climb around, so they like you said they yeah. are pretty easy to manipulate when you just give them something to kind of to climb up and explore. Yeah. And then cover them in calcium dust, and they're just like, oh, I'm dying, or you know, they're like they're like stunned or something. Then they're just not as agile. They're all covered in this stuff. They're trying to get it off of them, and yeah, it throws so them off a little bit. Yeah, it throws them off a bunch. Hmm. Yeah, man, it's uh, lobster roaches are super fast. You'll have a colony in like a few months. Oh, man. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they'll eat anything, anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. and they'll skin like you just leave a, a orange in there, and they'll just eat it and skin all of it, and just leave you the right the the whole the whole skin, and that's it, man. So they do it half. half the time that other species do yeah. it, like dubias, orange heads. Right, cut an orange in half, leave it in there for a couple of days, they'll be fine. Lobsters, it's like two hours, and it's gone. Yeah. I might, I might have to do those because, man, I'm getting eaten out of house and home with these dubia. These... Yeah, just do a smart where you use the petroleum jelly well, you have a smart bin, and yeah, yeah man, it's a slap a heat pad on the side of it or keep it on top of a cage that's hot and feed them scraps. Like, you you can just give them scraps, dude. Yeah, and, they, uh, they'll yeah. do just fine with it. It really yeah. The only thing you really got to do to kind of contain them, just that thicker layer of petroleum. If you do a really yeah. thick layer of Vaseline, it, it kind of keeps them at bay. But having a, <laughs> a free-range toe case certainly helps. 
I've thought about that too, man. I have, it is spider season right now. And I go in there and, you know, I have a broom because I basically walk with a broom in front of me. Because <laughs> yeah. Every, mer- every morning I go over there and there's new cobwebs. And the funny thing is I actually can feel the difference now between which webs I walk through. And uh, when I, when I, <laughs> I hit that web that feels more like a tripwire. I'm looking for, do I got a black widow crawling up my ankle or something? Because uh, their web, <laughs> webs are a little stronger, a little thicker. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, that uh, Charlotte's web when all the babies fly off at the end. That's basically what I'm walking into oh. uh, every day. Even even right now when we started the podcast, I'm seeing something like crawl down from my my eyebrow. It's a little baby spider that got in my hair somewhere. Or something. <laughs> I'm watching this thing. <laughs> Uh, but um let's uh we talked about some the the light bulbs you guys use we talked about you know what you care for over there um some of the species that are your daily routine kind of um real quick on the daily routine though you know you mentioned insect feeding but what about the for the larger animals um that you're feeding meat to uh rodents whatnot um what is drumsticks right yeah, are you you have access to actually you know live fresh killed stuff i'm assuming but is there a yep. process that you're you're like laying out things the day before so that when you get in the work the next morning it's thawed out and ready to go yeah so typically i do it more based off of uh what the ultrasound reads tell me so girls that are a little bit farther along in the cycling mm-hmm. kind of dictate the amount that i feed and also what i feed certain monitors like to eat certain things um so if I know I have a couple girls that prefer quail, I'll make sure to go out and thaw out predominantly chicken chicks, quail chicks, or you know, full-grown quail, stuff like that. If I know it's some of the less picky animals, I'll shoot something like guinea pigs or uh, like degrade rats, something that we'll have an excess of, thaw them out, and then go through and feed at least twice a week, usually three times. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and yeah, just make sure you make sure you supplement. That's the key. Yeah. I had a question, okay. Are you able to figure out why some clutches come out only partially fertile or why there's duds? And then how come there's those duds that have the orange shape or just regular shelled duds? Jake only gets fertile clutches, man. It's, uh... Yeah. Yes. And that's true. I can't <laughs> remember the last time I got a slug, actually. It all comes out of feeding. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> yeah. Just feed, feed, feed. If you got a nice so animal that has a good healthy fat reserve to it, um, you really shouldn't have any reason to not have a, a slug. Shoot, I, I mean, the only have, time that I really I get infertiles is when it's a lizard's second or third time breeding. When they're at that yeah. point where, you know, follicle-wise, they'll develop 10, 11, 12, but there's only enough viable mm-hmm. sperm or enough energy for them to, to really actually fertilize six to eight. And then the extra yeah, four, yeah. they'll kind of just pop out as slugs that aren't fully developed. But beyond that, it's very, very rare to actually get a slug. Kind of what I have going on. So I have 10 eggs laid, but four to six are fertile. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll accept the numbers, but I mean, shoot, it's just, I wish to, for 100%, 100%, you know, um, not, not just uh, – yeah, not just uh, a few here and there. And I kind of would like to nip that in the bud. And, um, man, I'll, I'll try to feed more. Shoot, these animals are already kind of chubby or big to begin with, so I don't know about feeding them anymore. Kind of feeding them to their brim until they they, they, they turn their, their nose up, you know? 
Yep. Um, that's the other reason the ultrasound will really help you out down the line too, is when you see that the, the animals post ovulation or when their follicles are getting to that size where they're getting ready to ovulate, you can really key in and feed really heavily around those points. And that's what really seems to help me. Because when you feed yeah. heavy any chance you get, you eventually end up with just ultimately obese animals uh -huh. that you're going to shorten the lifespan of. But when you target those sort of crucial points, that really seems to, to help out. Now, Dick, are you doing anything throughout the year, too, as far as um, – I know you keep pretty consistent temps for the animal, but as far as a cycle, so to speak, as far – you know, not the animal actually cycling, but a cycle that at the facility you go through to induce, you know, kind of a known um, expectation of what these animals are going to do. Not really for the water monitors, which is – it's pretty nice because naturally the environment that they're in changes very, yeah. very little. From year to year at least temperature wise obviously you got a monsoon season or the dry season but even that's not really enough to sort of influence the breeding or the cycling of the lizards I mean, we just kind of keep it pretty standard year round and yeah we get them to go four times a year pretty consistently without much of a hassle very nice man because i'm thinking yeah because i you know with some of the dwarf monitors too i we're talking different species here, of course, and from different areas, but um, seems like I'll, I'll get this flyer clutch sometime in the, the winter that's usually infertile, maybe a couple yep. are fertile, and then the following first clutch in the spring, all fertile, the second clutch is usually pretty good, and if there's a third clutch, it might be 50-50, yeah. and then, you know, um, maybe there's a surprise clutch here and there, but. Um, they always tell me to look for the better or or wait for the second clutch or the third clutch. Yeah. Um, like, uh, so sometimes they're just laying once every six months, bro. There's no second or third clutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if there's a way, you know, to clean that so up. My cliff monitors spit out eggs like crazy. So. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe I should have posed that as a question. What do you <laughs> think, Jake? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking at my phone right now. Unfortunately, I'm on my last percent, so I'm kind of, oh. I'm hoping they'll teeter a little bit longer. I didn't want to jump in on what you guys were saying. Are no you? Is it an iPhone where you got the? Uh, your only option is like earphones or plugging it in. I, I got a Pixel, but historic. I tried doing a, another podcast with Rob. Uh -huh. Actually, with Rob and Jeremy, it was a little experimental, and it did not go well without the headphones. It was uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty yeah. brutal. Yeah. I get it, man. Okay, well, with that, um, anything else, real quick, before uh, before <laughs> Jake loses his uh, ability, before I just to disappear. Yeah, you know what, man? I think uh, what you're what you're able to do is a open uh, light for me, but uh, maybe a lot of the listeners that are uh, within the breeding realm are trying to understand just how you know that that whole aspect works because you're able to have us. Uh, go through all those those little subtle stuff like the tongue flicking things and um you know yeah. just yeah all that is very important stuff that is like again very subtle not not a lot of people paying attention to it you know um and i really appreciate you for coming on and um doing it i really don't know if i have anything else to ask you but i i mean uh maybe if i had something personal but more so of just like i guess the last question i can ask would be what type of um ultrasound do you use or what do you recommend i just don't want to buy anyone off the off what what people recommend what people say you know i just i want to get one that's reliable 
yeah, I don't know the exact model that we use off the top of my head. Um, but actually, I can get that exact model for you and message it to you. I don't know if you want to advertise yeah. it on the podcast later, but uh, I can definitely get that info to you. All right. All right. That'd, that'd be great. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, let's maybe uh, wrap this up on that. And um, Jake, thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for having know, me, guys. We'd love hey. to have you on in a little while and um, you know see what other new things are coming your way or what you guys got going on and new things that might come up or to go into detail further about some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, I'll be watching your uh, your <clears throat> personal page you know, for those Lacerda's, see what you got going on. But where can people find you? Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, real Jake from Snake Farm. Probably going to be your <laughs> best bet. I'm not too active on social media, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, from time to time, I, I sometimes throw something up on Instagram. Yeah. Greatest yeah. name ever. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Have a good one, bro. You too, guys. Thank you so much. All right. All right. And man, that was good stuff, Kai. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. Just the amount of knowledge um, that Jake gets just working with those animals day in, day out. Yeah, man. I think um, for for me, I still don't. OK, I've hatched out plenty of monitors, but I still don't understand the step by step by step from ovulating and vitiligenesis and I know the gravid part, but I don't know all that prior stuff. I'm waiting for Dave Kirshner to drop more episodes on the actual <laughs> ovulating part. So, you know, um, Croc Doc, we're, 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 we're patiently waiting for this very, very <laughs> important part. So, um, but yeah, I mean, really, uh, that's, that's why um, I was talking and asking him those certain questions just because uh, it's it's very important for a lot of people that are trying to understand where they're trying to go with their animal. And just like I was mentioning, I didn't. I thought, remember, like maybe last month, I mentioned I thought the cycle was just that one laying period, but no, it's a it's a window, right? Of, yeah, that can and cover there's multiple. multiple. Yeah, you and know, I have those same things going on. I'm wondering the same thing because I swear some of my dwarf monitors, it, as soon as they lay, it looks like they're already they're ready to go again rabid. in another couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have that. So that girl that I told you that I'm, she's laid in the last few months a bunch of times, and she, a couple of them were not great, and a few of them have been good now. So, but I basically gave her a rest, and I essentially don't want to uh, wear her out. Um, but man, she looks so good. Like I could just, <laughs> do it again, you know. But uh, right. I'm gonna probably gonna give her another month or so, try to push it out a little bit longer for any breeding activity. Just kind of get her. And I, what I did is I didn't have a ton of heat. I just gave her mild basking temperatures just to, you know, um, gain weight a little bit slower, not basically go into full speed again, hot heated and, you know, eating and digesting and all that stuff like that. I just wanted her to kind of slowly gain weight back and do right. things. So, well, let's, let's think about it real quick on those uh, along the line that it, uh, it's a window that can cover multiple clutches. Then yeah, we'll have to get that maybe, in a podcast one day yeah maybe well maybe you can't shut it off maybe you can just yeah. mess it up or do it right at the beginning supporting that animal through the whole process right. and um and you just have to let it ride you know um because yeah. if they're already producing those follicles 
There's a might as well might as well run them through it. Yeah, that's what right. people tell me to do. Might as well um, exercise it fully and breed them and have it go through that way. At, at least it's a lot easier on the animal. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I'm not even 100 percent sure because shoot, if I'm at four or five clutches already from January till now, um, me pumping five six clutches out of a girl is already that's uh, teetering the line of dangerous and killing your animal. So. Um, I, 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 I want to try, but it's not worth my animal. So I'm not going to try. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm happy with the eggs I got. And sometimes you might, even though I love pushing the thing for science and you know what I know about these animals and what I want to know more. Um, I, I love this animal. I've grown it up for the last three years and you yeah. know, I don't want to see it pass away. No, not just the, uh, the whole pet factor now, but also the, 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 possible money factor too because these animals do you know create some source of, some source of income even if they are my loving pets you know they gotta um, pay rent i get it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so I, mean, I, try, for free. <laughs> I try to make it so it's a it's a balance because you want to still have things make sense you know and, mm -hmm. and uh, losing a female is not gonna make sense so. no and, and finding a female good yeah. luck good yeah. luck yeah. and i had I, on that note i had um uh buddy kevin baker i think uh, you know online uh sent me a mail um aki today because uh, <laughs> man it's still hard for me i'm looking at you know I, I got my definite males and it's easy to see their male and i got my definite females easy to see their female until one's not and then you know it's uh i had that happen where i swore this this animal was a male it had some some attributes about it that were very male and uh yeah had some infertiles from it just the other day so whoops and um i already knew i was female heavy to, to begin with so now i'm in this need more males huh yeah where i'm short on yeah. males so but i mean this guy's uh amazing looking animal so i i can't wait to get him in the mix and kevin if you're listening thank you um all right man should we yeah, wrap should it up here we close this one up and uh i think we're able to cover quite a bit of juice and good meat for people to listen to right um you know uh yeah man I, i'm glad glad we were able to bring them on and get a i mean sort of like a peak of what nerds like almost in a way right. um that's also a, a big a big i think an insider that people want you know right um and i'm glad that he was able to come on and share some stuff with us right absolutely uh, those guys are doing great work. Um, all yeah. right, Kai, I think we've skipped it the last couple times, but where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also a few other places. I'll mention those as well. Um, my Instagram is uh, big underscore lizard uh, 103. My Facebook is just Kai Fan, K-H-A-I, uh, Fan, P-H-A-N. Um, <laughs> Kyle <thinking> Pam. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> um uh you know um and now as far as uh i also have a youtube you can also follow me on because sometimes i post videos of events and things like that um at uh, mangrove mecca it's a uh, mangrove and mecca is mcc or m-e-c-c-a uh, and uh yeah i believe that's just about all the places to normally find me all and right. you man <laughs> you find me coughing here in the podcast. That's pretty... um, 
You can find me at origins underscore reptile uh, on Instagram and then origins reptile on Facebook. Um, of course, here on the podcast, we thank you all, everybody that's been listening. We thank you again for the feedback you've been giving us. It seems like people are pretty happy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I can't help but wonder, are they really happy or are we just so starved for monitor content that, you know, we take whatever it's, we can get? <laughs> it's both. It's both. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, uh, we're, we love doing this. Um, I mean, even from the get-go, from just the scratch and just you know, asking each other or kind of just seeing how things would flow. And now that they're actually flowing and you guys are loving it, I mean, it just kind of, uh, it melts my heart a little bit just because, yeah, because you guys love it. I mean, that's just, I never would have thought it'd be like that. Um, I, I was like thinking, oh man, we got to have it scripted. I got to do this for people to like it, but really it's just sheer facts and what you've experienced and what people can relate to, you know? Um, yeah, man. Good stuff. All right. Uh, And again, everybody, please go ahead and go on to the Morelia Python radio um, webpage. Check them out. There's a great, uh, great selection of podcasts on there that you can scroll down through the bottom of um, covering pretty much almost every aspect of uh, reptiles in some degree. Um, I'm sure in the future we might have more specific things going on, but there's plenty of good information, some great, Great hosts, great stories. Uh, you know, um, go ahead a and bit for everybody. A little yeah. bit for everybody. Yeah. Check out their Patreon. Check out their store on there. Um, and then <clears throat> we also want to start including uh, US Arc for anybody listening to that. If you don't know US Arc, if uh, you've been hiding under a rock, just type it in. It's uh, US Arc. Um, they are basically fighting to protect our our ability to keep animals. Um, there's a lot going on right now that could threaten, um, the animals we love to keep, uh, threaten, you know, all this information even coming out to you. Cause if we don't have them to talk about anymore, then it'll just be a figment of our imagination, something that we did in the past. So please support, uh, in some way that you can, if you can sign up and give monthly, if you give a little bit here and there, um, now, for those of you that are shipping animals, I know it's easy to tack on a lot of times um, a little extra on that shipping when you're sending stuff off. Uh, that'll be donated to U.S. Art. Uh, Kai, I don't know if you've been keeping up on it. I was just made aware of some of the stuff going on as far as reintroducing Lacey Act or um, trying to uh, undo what was already decided as far as animals being able to cross state lines. Uh, so some of the government um, was trying to reintroduce verbiage to make it illegal to transport a lot of animals across state lines. Um, so please go ahead, check out US Arc, uh, donate if you can. And other than that, anything else, guy? No, that's it, man. All right. Till next time. We'll see you. You guys have a great one.